gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp, and Rachel Miller is my co-host. And this week we're... uh, going to continue our kind of unofficial series on abuse. And this is a topic that has been requested by somebody. And I'm glad that we took the time to kind of learn about it because it's not something that, um, you know, we're dealing with personally or a, a lot of abuse situations aren't necessarily, but it's something that I hadn't thought a lot about. And so learning, learning more about it has been very eye-opening to me. And we're going to talk about spiritual abuse directed at clergy and pastors. I, I kind of think when you start talking about this more, if you were to talk to people that have been in ministry a long time, you'd probably find out it happens more than we realize. I'm just guessing a little bit. Um, maybe you can do an intro, Rachel, about um, spiritual abuse directed at clergy. You know, it's one of those things um, I am, uh, as I've mentioned before, I'm a pastor's daughter, uh, grown up in the church. And I think that, like Colleen said, if you sat down and talked to pastors that you know, um, elders in the church, um, most of them, if not all of them, have been through at least one type of situation where they were, where there was abuse directed at them. It's, it's sadly just part of uh, life in the church. Uh, and you know, we talk a lot about spiritual abuse here and, and elsewhere in terms of what churches and pastors and leaders have done that harms individuals or congregations, uh, harm done to organizations. And and part of the reason we talk about it so much in that way is that's that's the common experience, the most common experience for many of us, many of us who are not um, either in a pastor's family or in leadership. Um, but abuse can go the other way. Uh, individuals, congregations can attack can abuse their pastors and leaders and and each other. And and when certainly excuse me, certainly when you're talking about people within churches abusing each other, I'm sure many of us can have uh, experiences or stories that we could share. But today we're going to focus on uh, what happens in a church when uh, people in the church decide or begin to attack and abuse their pastor or leaders. Uh, a couple books that, we're going to reference uh, one is when sheep attack by Dennis Maynard, a uh, very helpful book. It was written more from a Episcopal type church structure. So it's not all of his advice is, is would be applicable for say a Presbyterian or a congregational church, but much of his advice about what happens in churches and how to address it and what to look for and watch for. Uh, I found very, very helpful. Um, Another book that we'll reference uh, is 
A Cry for Justice, How the Evil of Domestic Abuse Hides in Your Church by Pastor Def- Jeff Crippen. Um, it is um, another book that's more generally on abuse uh, and abusers in the church, all types. But he does have a part where he, he talks about uh, abuse directed at pastors and leaders. And um, I just want to add the, the disclaimer here that while we're talking about this, uh, we're talking about faithful pastors and elders or leaders who have been bullied and mistreated by people in their churches. We're not talking about uh, abusive pastors or leaders who are facing the appropriate consequences of their actions. Um, and I want to, to preface, it that, preface it that way um, so that you understand the, the context of the discussion. Right. People um, pointing out that a pastor is an error and going about that in a biblical wise way is not abuse. Right. Exactly. So one thing I wanted to say, I had told Rachel that in studying this, one of the things I hadn't thought about before, and I think why this episode will be helpful based on these books, and we have a couple articles we're going to link also, is that one of the things that we've talked about with domestic violence, we've talked about with spiritual abuse, um, and pretty much any kind of abuse is um, that there's patterns that you see that are similar when you look at these different situations. And Dennis Maynard, for instance, looked at a bunch of these sorts of situations and was able to see some of these similar patterns. Hmm. One of the things that I thought was really good that he mentioned some things in the the book, some Bible passages that he uses as kind of, um, I guess, introductions to the various chapters. And I thought it'd be good to go through, and I've added some others here that kind of bring up some some points in Scripture, places where we see um, advice about abuse in the church, places where we see. Um, how how we should treat our pastors and elders. Uh, and I thought it'd be worthwhile to go through some of these, partly because it's good to remember uh, as a refresher, also because it's it's encouraging for us to remember that these types of things have been happening since the beginning of the church. Uh, so these are not uh, surprises or shouldn't be surprises for us who who live in the who live today and are members in the church. Um, one passage is from Galatians 5. Um, it's verses 15 and then 19 through 21. It says, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dis- dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing. And things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And when we're talking about bullying and abusive behavior towards leaders in the church, a lot of a lot of that, a lot of the things that we'll address are covered in this verse. When you consider uh, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, disputes, dissension, factions, envying these these things. Uh, are, are not the way we should live as believers, but they are certainly things that happen and that show up in the church. It makes me think a little bit of our episode last week when we were talking about even when someone is an heir, there's still things that we're called to as Christians that mm-hmm. um, we're commanded to in the Word of God. So, even that there is a right and a wise way and some of that may depend on your type of church and things like that, but there, there are right and wise ways to deal with error, or if you think there's an issue in your church. I think a lot of these abuse situations happen sometimes for really silly reasons, actually, um, Mm -hmm. where people think there's something wrong and then they just behave badly. And and their issue may be like a little tiny molehill they're making a mountain out of. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for They keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. That's a really good one. Um, Don't make your pastor's job harder. Right. And, you know, as we're talking about this, 
we expect that the majority of us who are listening, we're here and we we love our our pastors and our churches, and this is not something that you know that we're we're trying to correct you on. Um, more of it being an encouragement to to remember these things, an encouragement to. Uh, be on the the lookout for ways in which people around us may be abusing um, uh, others and hard sorry harming uh, and bullying uh, pastors and our leaders. Excuse me. One of my pastors, uh, and I just always remember this. He was talking about how people will come to him with some problem they're having with someone in the church, and um, he'll uh, they'll ask, "What should I do?" Maybe they're already not dealing with it well. And they'll say, well, this is what the Word of God says. Um, and and they'll say something like, it's not going to work in this situation. And he would tell them, so God in all his wisdom neglected to think of your one situation where it's not going to work. You know what? Sometimes it's not going to work the way that you hope, but we are still called to behave in these ways and show charity and wisdom and and such things. That's a good point. Another verse that the uh, Dennis Maynard used in his book was uh, the one from Matthew five eleven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And then verse 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And you know, that is an encouragement for those. Uh, I know we have uh, many in our listeners who are, um, maybe pastors. Uh, we have others who are uh, wives and children of pastors or elders, and it can be an encouragement to remember that even when we are mistreated um, as believers, uh, it, it is not to be, un- it's not unexpected, and the Lord sees. Luke ten sixteen says, one who listens to you listens to me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. It's another good reminder um, that um, if someone is is causing great trouble and and strife in the church, bullying pastors and elders, abusing the congregation, those around them, um, they are those who are rejecting uh, uh, the faith and the leaders and um, and wise counsel. Uh, that ultimately, when someone is causing great damage like that in the church. The rejection is ultimately not against us so much as the rejection that they they are rejecting uh, Christ and the gospel. Uh, And again, I'm not saying that everyone who causes problems is is not a believer, but we need to be careful about um, when when someone is causing problems, there may be ultimately a rejection of the faith. Another verse about the elders. um, This one gets used a lot, and I'm going to just you know, say, stay with me here because we're going to talk about what's being, what's going on in this passage because um, this verse and this passage gets misused quite a bit. Um, so, from 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 22, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially for those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free of sin. Um. And I'm sure that most of you have heard ways in which this passage has been abused. Um, often it gets thrown around to say that, oh, no, you can't bring charges of something unless two or three witnesses or you have two or three witnesses to the abusive behavior. And it, it can be used as a way uh, to deny um, legitimate uh, charges of uh, misbehavior and abuse. What I think is very helpful here, uh, Pastor Sam Powell has written an article on accusing an elder, and we'll link it in the store, in the notes. And he talks about what's really going on in this passage. Uh, and his his point in this passage is that when it says uh, the two or three witnesses, the what's going on here is not that there need to be two or three witnesses to the original offense, but that when charges are brought, you need to have two or three witnesses there, other 
people there to um, to evaluate and to judge and to consider the charges that are brought. So it's about taking and his passage. If you want to read his uh, exegesis on it, he he goes through why um, that is the uh, the way to read the passage. Um, but the point then is, it's not there have to be two or three witnesses to any um, a, a action or abusive. Um, um, sorry, action or abuse, but that there would there should be two or three people there to judge um, and to decide based on the charges and, and to make a wise decision, uh, which I think is very helpful when you think about how the passage should be used. But something else that he says in his article, he says, there are two deadly viruses that destroy a congregation of believers. First, when the leadership is made up of wolves preying upon the sheep. When the leadership devours and destroys, abuses their congregants, using the weaker ones to satisfy their own lusts. Ezekiel 34 and Jeremiah 23 both warn us of this, as well as many, many other places. And the other virus is when a wolf is a member of the congregation who spreads malicious slander against the leadership through twisting words, making up allegations, and whispering in the dark corners. Yeah, Sam's, uh, what Sam wrote there was so helpful. One of the ways we see that passage that you read misused over and over. I mean, I see it all the time where uh, you and I have talked about uh, how it is okay to, you have a public teacher who's teaching an error to, to say, hey, this is an error. This is not biblical. This is wrong. And some people will be like, they'll bring up the passage you read. And um, don't criticize an elder and so on and so forth. (laughs) We've heard it. Too many times, uh, sadly. Yeah. And and that's the thing I think it's important to remember. We talked about last week that we still need to be mindful in the the way in which we do it. But um, coming out saying, hey, I just read this piece from... Uh, Pelagius, I'm just making something up because that would be a very obvious one, and he's denying original sin. This is absolutely not biblical, contrary to um, the foundational doctrines of the Christian faith, and so on. So, if you imagine he's living today and and say, you know, that that is not um, the sort of thing that's being addressed here. Right. That's a good point. Another passage, um, 2 Corinthians 12, 20, for I'm afraid that perhaps when I come, I might find you not to be what I wish and may be found by you not to be what you wish, that perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slander, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. And again, Paul speaking to the the kinds of things, uh, any of us who've been in the church for any length of time will have seen these types of things within a church, whether it's with, by leaders or it's directed at leaders or among uh, congregations. This, these things happen, unfortunately. Uh, and we should be aware that that's, that's not the way we should be as believers. Absolutely. Um, James 3, 13 through 18, I, I love this one. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior and deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. If you hear some of these stories, and um, we have a pastor friend who went through a pretty rough situation, sometimes these situations are um, are more vindictive. They're not seeking mm. peace and wisdom. And so, mm. even it's a good reminder to all of us when we encounter any situation in the church, uh, even it's a very difficult situation. How can I approach this with, with gentleness and wisdom and being peaceable? You know, even if you have a very valid concern, uh, those are still things we need to be mindful of. Very good point. Um, 
And then, of course, from Matthew 7, 20, um, so then you will know them by their fruits. And I think that's a good play way to, to seg into when we're talking about antagonists in the church, um, we're talking about abusers in the church. Um, who are these people? Right? These are people who thrive on creating trouble. They have a need for power and control. Um, they have goals. They want to hurt, humiliate, destroy, remove pastors and leaders, and they want to divide the church. Um, these are people who thrive on conflict. They enjoy being critical. They're extremely controlling. And what tends to happen uh, in a situation is they get upset or they get hurt easily and then get angry and hold grudges and they attack. And they exist not to build up the church, but to tear it down. And um, I wanted to, again, pause and go back to what we said in the disclaimer. Again, here we're talking about um, faithful churches, faithful pastors with um, unfaithful, ungodly people attacking. This is not the same thing as um, good, solid Christians who are bringing up concerns, uh, legitimate concerns and abuses that are happening within a church, um, following the the proper procedures and guidelines and, and doing the things that are right and honorable in order to build up a church. This is about people that are within the church that really just want to see it torn down. Uh, really want to hurt and destroy. And it's a very different type of situation. I think we've all known people in our lives that tend to instigate drama. And, you know, I'm trying to think of how to how to word it, but I've mm-hmm. seen this sort of thing. Sometimes you even just have those people in your church making a big deal out of every little thing. They're not seeking wisdom and and peace, but it's just always kind of this stirring up trouble. Um, a lot of gossip behind the scenes. Did you hear so and so? Blah 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 blah. Or, you know, and almost almost troublemakers. Yes. Um, something else that's mentioned in the books. Uh, there's a sense of entitlement uh, that they are owed something. Uh, often there are. Uh, rumors then that they share and gossip and things like people are saying, and I can't tell you who these these secret meetings and whisper campaigns. Uh, And and sometimes they see clergy as, as easy targets because uh, they're often viewed as, as non-combative as, as weak, uh, easy to get to. And, some churches, frankly, have a history of division and running off pastors, and it's it's ugly, but it's it's true that this happens in churches. And some churches, that once this becomes their pattern, it becomes something that they that that church will will always have as an issue. So, um, just something to be aware of. And uh, these kinds of attacks, I, I think. I've seen it in multiple articles in, in both the books. Talk about this as a type of spiritual warfare. Uh, and I can say, you know, especially as a pastor's daughter, this is something that you, I've seen. Uh, and it, as we'll talk in, a little bit later, it does take a, a heavy toll on pastors and their families. I wanted to mention real quick um, that this can also happen in, in some larger churches, um, even um, just because I I've seen a situation with some people that I know where like one of the pastors is spearheading this and some of the congregation is involved and it's going to happen in all sorts of different ways. Mm-hmm. You wrote something, Rachel, and I'd love for you to talk about that. Um, I did. I wrote an article um, called abuses in the church. It's uh it was part of a book review of uh, Jeff Crippen's book, A Cry for Justice. And the, this was the third of the ones I think I did uh, uh, articles on his book. This one was very much uh, focused on uh, this type of uh, antagonist or abuser in the church. And uh, one thing that I thought was really interesting is that Crippen used the uh, passage in third John verses nine and 10, uh, as kind of a, a template to discuss. So the verses say, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. 
For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words, and not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either, and he forbids those who desire to do so, and puts them out of the church. And one thing that uh, Crippen points out in the book, he says that if you're a faithful pastor or church member, the probability that you have met one or both characters in this evil duo is quite high. He's speaking of, in scripture, Diotrephes and Jezebel, um, both are abusers. Today, they still exist within many, if not most, churches, masquerading as pious saints. They set themselves up in power and expect the pastor, the elders, and the people to do their bidding, all the while ready to punish any who resist them. Uh, these are bullies. And these people, it goes on, have caused great harm to Christ's flock, and in particular to Christ's under-shepherds, pastors. Such people see themselves as entitled to power and control over the flock, and thus regard their abusive tactics, which they use to gain and maintain power, as fully justified. This is one of the most common reasons pastors have short tenures in many churches. And that is a point that both uh, both books make, um, that this type of attack on a pastor is uh, one of the, the leading reasons why pastors leave a church or leave the ministry altogether. You'll Sorry. sometimes hear, hear of a church, maybe your friends attended or something like that. And they've been through like three pastors in the last 10 years. Um, yeah. There, that may be, may, may not be, there may be other reasons, but um, going through pastors uh, very quickly. Mm-hmm. It's certainly if you are a pastor or you're in seminary or your husband is a pastor in seminary and you're looking at taking a call, that's something I would look for. Uh, you want to know uh, what's happened before you and to get a sense because the truth is um, if they've treated one this way, they're likely to treat others this way. So just to be careful. You, you know, one of the things, and I don't know for sure how much this applies to this, but I was thinking of something I saw a long time ago that Boz Chavidjan had mm. on the uh, the Grace website, and he was talking specifically about sexual abusers that they feel comfortable in the church. So, a large percentage of them are churchgoers because the church is trusting. They can often get away with more. But I think um, you were talking, Rachel, about that there are people in our midst that may not actually know the Lord. Um, mm-hmm. I I have a friend who's a, who's a pastor, but also kind of an expert on personalities, did a lot of study on that. And he was talking about how narcissists are attracted to certain occupations. Mm-hmm. Politician is one, pastor is one, and, and there's other ones in there too. But sometimes I think even, even churchgoers can kind of uh, use the church in a certain way to play their games. I don't know how else to say that. No, I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, it is about playing games or about trying to gain power or control, which is what abuse is always about. It's about power and control and um, getting people to bend to their will or do what they want. Um, you know, it's, it's sad when you see it in a church in, in any direction, right? And this can happen as we're saying in, in any direction. Um, so a diatrophies type person in the church based on the scripture passage uh, would be someone who opposes genuine servants of Christ. And that's again, what distinguishes this from someone who is raising legitimate concerns in an abusive uh, church about an abusive leadership. This, this is someone who opposes um, faithful pastors. He undermines the real work of Christ exercises an evil power and control over the flock of Christ, slanders Christ's servants, works to isolate Christ's people from genuine servants of Christ. He opposes the word of Christ. He drives genuine believers out of the church and is motivated by a craving to be first. Um, and that that's a, probably a really good description based on the passage and, and one that I think um, defines well the, the type of um, antagonist and abuser that both books are discussing. And again, I had said earlier, some some of these with um, the When Sheep Attack book, just like with every other type of abuse, there really is kind of 
similar patterns, similar tactics, you're going to see a lot of parallels between these abuse situations. There will be differences, um, Mm -hmm. especially on a practical level, but it's amazing to recognize some of these same tactics that are used. Yeah, it really is like they all have uh, a playbook that they're working from. Um, yep, and it's it's incredible when you when you start sitting down and, and listening to other stories, and you think, oh, that's just like this other, and what happened? Um, so some of the tactics here: uh, there's blaming or false guilt, rewriting the facts, playing the victim, pitting people against each other, threatening in order to instill fear. Uh, changing or morphing the victim's words and God's word and accusing and deceiving with a cloak of charm, especially excessive charm, gathering allies and particularly targeting the pastor and other believers who are active in the Lord's work. So if if you talk to any pastors that have been through a difficult situation, we've actually had a few, a few pastor's wives in our group that, They've been through some of these type of situations, and it's devastating. Um, there's a loss of personhood, a mind dominated by the presence of the abuser, and this that would be true, you know, in any abuse situation. But one of the things I was saying to Rachel earlier is, if if you're a woman and you were in junior high once upon a time ago, and there were a few mean girls <laughs> that were mean to you. Even though it was a small group of people, it it felt like everybody was like nobody likes me. You know, teenage girl might might say that because it it just it it feels like everything is bad. You know, because of this one abuser, uh, the erosion of his ability to focus on his thoughts, prayers, and ener- energies upon his flock. It, it's a distraction from doing the work of the Lord, having to deal with somebody like this in the church, a loss of confidence. And that that's a huge one. If, if you talk to people, because you deal with this so much, they're like, well, you know, maybe, maybe I'm not a good pastor or whatever. If somebody in any sort of abuse situation, if you're in a domestic violence situation, you have a husband telling you every day, you're a horrible wife. You start wondering, am I a horrible wife? Loss of enthusiasm. Cause now it, you know, this kind of puts a stain on all ministry, a sense of isolation. And let me say something about this. I think this particular subject is rarely discussed. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's probably pastors out there who've been through these sorts of situations that feel extremely alone Mm -hmm. and not wanting to talk about it. And a burden of guilt and a sense of failure, which we can always do too. What did I, what did I do wrong? I must've failed in some way that I'm having to deal with this. Yeah. And I have seen these effects, you know, like I said, I, as a, a pastor's daughter, as um, my grandfather was a, a missionary and pastor, uh, my other grandfather was an elder. Um, you see this, this burden um, this uh, of these kinds of attacks and it's, it's painful. It's, it's very damaging and destroying. And, you know, there are, in, in the the book, um, when sheep attack, it talks about the um, the the effect on pastors and their families, and how it. Uh, I'm skipping ahead, by the way, in the notes. Um, okay. How it destroys and threatens marriages. Um, how children who have been uh, children of pastors and elders who've been through these situations sometimes uh, find it very hard to continue being in a church. Some who um, uh, leave the faith for a time uh, or altogether because they they feel the abuse and the weight of it on them from what happened with their parents. And uh, it does damage to physical, mental, and emotional health. Uh, there are many pastors who have had serious, and their families, who have had serious health issues as a result, uh, and again, physically, mentally, and emotionally. Um, this is, it's not a a light thing. This is a very uh, deadly uh, thing that happens. And it is hard to watch. It's hard to see. And I I agree with what Colleen said about that isolation. Um, It does feel very isolating. I think is as people are being more open about abuse in these situations, I hope that one of the things that comes from it is um, feeling 
less like you're the, you're the only one or this is you're the only person this has happened to because there are many and uh, we should be able to encourage each other through it. And talking about the families, I'm glad mm-hmm. you mentioned that because this can be equally as devastating on the whole family. Um, mm-hmm. If you're married to a man who's being treated this way, uh, it, it is so difficult having somebody treat your husband in this way. I There's a, a podcast that I listen to that's primarily about science and some culture. And this guy doesn't say anything personal about himself, but I happened to see he was interviewed on another podcast and where somebody kind of gets in the personal. So I didn't know until recently, this guy that I like the things, the science stuff he talks about, particularly that um, he was a, a pastor's son that left the church. Mm. And um, when the host kind of pried a little bit more, well, what was your experience? And they had gone through this huge, traumatic sort of situation. And I think the, ho- the, this, man is maybe in his early 40s now and just now rethinking going back. But when when your experience with the church, especially how it's affecting your own family, is just this um just ugliness, it it's easy to think that's just what the church is about. It's it's all ugly. So it can it can have devastating effects on the whole family and mm-hmm. you know the wife and children. Mm-hmm. I mean as we talked about with other uh, abuse and other types of abuse, that that sense of isolation is intentional on the part of the abusers. They want you to feel like um, that you're alone and that no one's there to help you and um, you know that you're only that you're worthless and hopeless and that's that's the goal. <laughs> the isolation is intentional. And um, just for those who are in these kinds of situations, I just want to encourage you and to um, to hope that you can reach out to someone else. Um, I, it, it weighs heavy on my heart, the, the people who are going through such, uh, in, in any kind of abusive situation, going through that type of isolation. So uh, one more thing from uh, Crippen's book, he says, he talks about the abusers having created a, an unbearable atmosphere of division within a church They are quite masterful at convincing everyone, including the pastor, that this division and unpleasantness is all his fault. And, you know, this I've certainly seen. Um, It seems to me, uh, if you consider the fact that in Scripture says um, that the evil one is the father of lies, uh, and certainly the one who, who wants to help sow division in the church, these kinds of spiritual attacks tend to attack us, uh, where we are uh, the most vulnerable. And good pastors, elders, leaders who have gone into ministry out of a calling and because they love the Word and they love the Lord and they love uh, they love serving the people and caring for them, being told that this is their fault, that they've caused these problems, that they don't really they don't really love the church as they should, and they haven't really taken care of it as they're supposed to. These, it's insidious and it's it's devastating because it it really hits at a vulnerable and tender spot in their hearts, and um, it, it's often very successful in destroying pastors and elders. And and sometimes these people can set themselves up as the victim, mm-hmm. even try to set themselves that they're the victim here. Um, it's extremely manipulative. Well, certainly it's the, you know, as we've talked before about uh, the DARVO, which is deny, yes. attack, reverse, victim, and offender, that that whole approach is still very much the tactics are the same, whatever the situation is around it. Um, one thing I thought was helpful uh, in what to watch for, uh, Crippen mentions four types of people uh, that become antagonists, uh, abusers in the church, approaches that they take. Uh, there's the flatterer. This is uh, someone who who tries to appear pious and gets people to trust them. Um, it's often wise to be careful of anyone who really lays the, the flattery and the praise on very thick. Um, some people are just gregarious and that's their way. But other times there's, there's something more to what they're doing and they're trying to get you 
on their side or to listen to them or to trust them so that they can um, gain power and control. Um, there's the person that's the concerned citizen. Um, this is someone who's feigning genuine concern uh, for the gospel or for Christ. And they use this to launch a wicked and discouraging accusation. Uh, points out, if you feel a fearful, uneasy knot in your gut when someone does this, recognize that you are feeling this way for a reason. Uh, as soon as you feel that pang of fear or sense that you are talking to an unsafe person, take a breath and slow down. Very often your feelings will tip you off before your thoughts will. And I think that's that's good advice, that we should be willing to um, listen to our gut instinct. Not that it's infallible, but um, sometimes there's a reason that something came off the wrong that we recognize. Um, sometimes also uh, the Holy Spirit is is giving, I'm not saying that we're getting direct messages from God, but we he does bring up scriptures and remind us and work in our hearts to recognize that things aren't good or right. And I think there are times when we should be uh, willing to, to sit and listen and pray about what's bothering us in a situation. And I think this is also a good reminder of our episode on boundaries, mm. because sometimes in those situations, especially with someone in church, um, knowing that it's okay and even wise to have appropriate appropriate boundaries, sometimes these people are not obvious. You know, you were just talking about the, mm -hmm. the flatterer. Sometimes they can be extremely likable and charming, um, very good at being manipulative. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's why we need to be very wise. Mm -hmm. And careful. Yes. But not cynical. And it's a balance. It's very. Yes, it is. It's a very hard balance. Um, as a young adult um, going into like, a church that my dad had been called to, and people are so welcoming and friendly and wonderful when you bring a new pastor in, that's, that's commonly the way, it, if it's gone well, that's the way it goes. And I, I do remember thinking at the time, looking around going, People are so lovely, but someone here is going to be a problem, and I don't know who you are yet. Um, and I, I hate that I felt that way about it, but just the law of, of statistics and averages, somebody there is likely going to be problematic. This, this is just the way things are. But um, I, I've had to fight that kind of cynicism, um, and so I, I recognize it in myself. Well, there's that that thing when you've when you've been through – a certain situation, it it can be challenging to be trusting again, and I think finding that that balance, um, uh, navigating it with wisdom, yeah, it, it, that can be challenging. Not not being too cynical, but maybe not too trusting off the bat either. Yeah, exactly. It's wisdom and balance. Another person, so there's something to watch out for is uh, something called a setup. And this is when abusive, entitled individuals work to set up the pastor for criticism. Um, it's I mean, launched in front of other people in the church. And the advice on this is the best way to respond is not to respond. So don't get drawn in to questions that are really accusations or situations that are really accusations. And that's a place of, of needing to be wise um, uh, as a pastor, as a, a leader. Um, to recognize what's going on. And think about from scripture, the number of times when like the Pharisees tried to draw Jesus in and get him to say something and trap him. And it, it's that same kind of, you know, wise as serpent, gentle as doves to be aware of what's going on. Um, which is not to say that if this has happened to you, uh, it wasn't your fault. It's not that you didn't see it coming. Uh, people who are abusive in the church, abusers in general, um, antagonistic entitled bullies are really, really good at what they do and are very good at maintaining power and control and manip through manipulation. So it's not your fault if you've manipulated, it is their fault and they shouldn't have done it. You know, I have a friend, not in this specific situation, but went through a sort of situation just with um, people in her life. And um the Lord does use these things. We learn and grow. Like Rachel said, it, it's not your fault if you've been manipulated. Um, but, I, well, why don't you talk about the next one? Because I was going to say something, but I'll wait till after you talk about the next one. 
The next one is the friend. And this one is the one that can be the most painful in my experience um, because it can take a long time to figure it out. Um, uh, this is someone who comes alongside, who acts like your friend, who is uh, seems to be supportive and encouraging. But when, but ultimately what they're doing is um, hiding their real actions, their motivations, and attempting to win you to their side so that they can, again, maintain their power, maintain their control, and continue to manipulate people. I can see how this would happen in a church situation, but I've even had this happen in my own life before where someone, you know, becomes my best friend. And I had even a situation where there were red flags that I didn't really, I I thought, well, I don't, I don't want to think poorly of, of this person. Um, But then I ended up, like Rachel said, this is one of the most hurtful because I trusted that person. And so imagine a pastor going through that. And pastors can sometimes have a difficult time having close friends, you know, especially in their own congregation. So it would be just devastating, especially if you've, you thought you had built up trust with somebody as a friend. Yes. Uh, it also, it really, and, and anyone who has been through uh, an abusive situation, especially with uh, either intimate partner or family or very close friend, that uh, that sense of having to sit, sift back through your memories and decide what was real, what was not, you know, was there ever a real relationship there or not? Was it always about manipulation? And it's, it's very painful and unsettling. Um, it, it makes it hard to trust others. It makes it hard to, um, kind of get a good grasp on reality about what's gone on in your life and with them and with others. And, um, it, you know, there are a lot of, and especially true for the pastor's wives that I've known over the years, and not particularly mine right now, but just in general, pastor's wives that I've known. Um, many find it hard to have close relationships in the church because of things like this and because of the ways in which people have tried to use them uh, against their husbands, which is very bad. No, no, it should not be done, but it is what happens And children, pastor's children too, um, have similar struggles. So what can we do? And, and I know if you're a pastor or pastor's wife who, who has been through this, I, I feel for you. Cause I know this is, an incredibly difficult situation. I have a close friend who went through just a miserable situation and felt like she lost all her friends. Mm. And it it can just be devastating and crush you. Um, But for all of us, be familiar with the tactics and mentality of abuse. And maybe even be aware if, if this is happening to your own pastor. Um, one of the things and advice that uh, Dennis Maynard gives in his book is that when these kinds of attacks come on a pastor or a session or the elders at a church, it is helpful to have a unified defense where the session or the presbytery or the denominational leadership come together to help address the concerns so that the pastor is not left or the elder is not left uh, on his own. Uh, and I think that's wise. Uh, I think also being familiar and uh, trained in conflict resolution and management uh, can be very helpful. And I think it's important to remember that to know that when you're dealing with bullies, bullies don't stop easily and they like to continue bullying people. So it, it's going to be a difficult situation and to be aware of that. For those of us who are uh, members in a church who are not uh, in leadership, the things that I think we should know and be aware of, um, we should be in constant prayer for our our pastors and elders and leaders and their families. We should be um, uh, encouraging and supportive uh, as the passage earlier, you know, not make their lives difficult. That doesn't mean you don't bring your problems to them, but to be aware of who they are and what's going on in their lives and uh, to be supportive um, and and also to be ready to to defend um, and to be um, ready to um, help 
in case there is a situation that happens that needs your help. I think that um, it's good for us to remember not to encourage or, or promote gossip. And again, I'm going to make a differentiation here between bringing valid concerns to the right people is not gossip. Uh, so those of us who know there is a difference, actual gossip and listening and, and encouraging rumor and innuendo and um, uh, whisper campaigns and secret meetings, these kinds of things that are um, parties trying to take over and control and manipulate and abuse and bully, don't be partied with it um, and or party to it and don't participate with it. And it's something that I think all of us can can do um, as part of what helps with the church. Um, but I think, yeah, I think that mainly uh, prayer and encouragement and support for our leaders is probably what we can do uh, that's the, the most helpful. Yeah, finding ways that we can support our pastors in any number of ways, I think it's good and being diligent to pray for them. I let Rachel do a lot of the talking today, partly because she's a pastor's daughter. So, and then also, uh, I'll just mention I went through a or going through a hard loss this week. So, my mind is a bit all over the place. And Rachel, thank you for being willing to talk so much about that. And I think your personal experience with being a pastor's daughter is especially helpful because you can understand some of these things in a very personal way. Um, I'll I'll just mention I I don't know for sure what next week's episode, but in two weeks. We have an episode that I am extremely excited about, and I'm going to be one of those podcasters that doesn't tell you what it is, but I'm already confident we have a guest coming on about a book and super excited about it. So, um, But tune in next week for whatever we talk about. We, ha- we have a whole list, so we'll pick something from that. And then definitely in two weeks also, because that episode, uh, really important topic and a great guest who's written a great book. So. Thanks for joining us. I hope this is helpful uh, for everybody, whether you're a pastor, pastor's wife, pastor's child, and, and even a congregant. I think there's a lot helpful here. We'll see you next week.